Greetings again. And um, last night we took a whirlwind tour of the book of Matthew and looked at what uh, Matthew says about what Jesus says about the church and who Jesus claims to be. My purpose last evening was to go back to the very earliest days of the church when Christ was here and looked at what Christ taught and claimed about the people of God. And uh, we concluded that Jesus um, has the authority from the Father to say who are the people of God. And that he called out a new body of of believers, uh, a new people. Instead of ethnic Israel, it was the church. All people who believe in Christ and confess him as Lord. There are a lot of glorious promises and um, beautiful, beautiful passages in Matthew. And I ask you all to think about some practical questions. Uh, What questions do you have? What are some of the outworkings then? How do we do church um, based upon the teachings of Christ? So this little children's lesson is sort of a way of saying we might do church in a number of different ways, but there are there are some components which if things aren't present, it's going to be a problem. Just the same way as if your house did not have a bathroom or a bedroom. Um, your house needs these things. They can be different in different houses, but each house needs to have these things. Um, so in beginning here, I would like to, if I could have the lights off here, um, look at a few of the components, um, I'm calling it, of Matthew's vision of the church. Um, could someone focus that? Thank you. So, I've listed several things here, and there might be more than these. It's not a, a complete list. But we hear these these themes in Christ's teaching. So repentance, which is a reorientation of life, purpose, and motive. Separation, joining a different kingdom than the world. Christ is calling his believers. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives them a different a set of instructions that's just different from those of old times. Um Mission. Jesus gives his followers a mission, and that is to proclaim the kingdom and the power of Christ. Or a word for this might better be commission. He commissions us. Discipleship. Watching over one another in love and truth. Uh, We are to take care of sin in the church and in each other's lives and work with each other, interact with each other, uh, when we offend one another, or when we have offended someone. There's an interesting passage in Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 15, where the writer exhorts them to... This is a passage that talks about the discipline of the Lord. It says, don't be weary of God's discipline. Because God is disciplining you because He loves you and He wants His holiness to be revealed through you. And then He says, 
Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your, your feeble knees. Um, strive for peace and for holiness. And then in verse 15 he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I believe the King James says, Looking diligently that no one fails the grace of God. That word, looking to it, is actually the word episcopos. It comes from the word for bishop. And it means taking oversight of one another. And it's the most interesting word that is used where we are actually to take oversight of one another. We often think, you know, that's the preacher's job. He's the overseer. The writer is saying, look diligently. Don't just cast a casual glance, but actually... It's like a farmer who would, take, who would pay attention to health, the health of his cattle or, um, or a businessman to the, the, the health of his, of, his, uh, of his business, to the components of the business that he was running. Look diligently. Pay attention. Do discipleship. Um, fellowship. Sharing the Lord's Supper together. Christ gathered his disciples and said, Do this as often as ye remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And sharing your goods in common. Um, I'm not teaching that we have to live in a commune or share all of our goods in common, but, but we share with one another. We, we open our hearts, we open our practical possessions and, and give them and share them with one another and our joys and sorrows in life. And then also authority. Jesus says, I have authority and I'm giving this to you. And he, he set apostles in place um, to define these things for the church. And the apostles later on ordained leaders. And throughout the years, leaders in the church um, have had the commission to discern and apply these things together with the assembled believers. So leaders do not have the ability to just define them on their own. They need to work with the local believers, with, with the body, and yet they are to especially give attention to these things under the authority of Christ. Maybe there's more components than this in Matthew's vision of the church. Um, I'm not trying to be comprehensive. I'm just, I'm just listing some of the components. I'm going to make a few observations. And to make my observations, I'm actually going to turn to Hebrews, I'm sorry, to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, you could preach the same message out of, out of any ending of the book. It would come out in a different shape, it would come out in different language, but essentially, um, the message of Christ is the same throughout this word. And so, here I've listed those words, repentance, separation, mission, discipleship, fellowship, and authority. I'll make a few observations about these. Uh, let me see here. Maybe I will just read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also ascended into the lower regions, the earth? He who ascended is the one who also, who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, seeking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Some observations here. To be a follower of Jesus, one must be joined to an assembly of believers where these things are carried out. How would you obey this passage in Ephesians which tells us to uh, walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and maintaining the unity of the Spirit if there weren't relationships? How can I do this from my own home? How can I do this over electronic communication on Facebook with someone when I can control my, my profile, I can control what they know about me? can't be done, and accepting community. These components cannot be separated from one another and continue to exist in any meaningful way. So, you look at the list there, um, sometimes we think these are opposed to one another, sort of. There's a little tension here. I think there is a little tension. So, separation from the world, we can see this play out in the early church. Um, this came into conflict with missions. So the early church uh, was expanding. They were conducting mission work. People were coming to Christ. Suddenly there was a question about keeping the Old Testament law. These rights that made us a separate people that have worked for several thousand years to maintain our identity as God's people all of a sudden don't matter anymore. People are being taught that circumcision doesn't matter. They're actually eating food offered to idols. And it, it just, it, it, I hear this slippery slope. Next thing they're doing is committing fornication in the idol temples. Uh, we don't know where this is going to stop. 
how are we going to get how are we going to do separation and mission at the same time? So we see them in the early church actually struggling with this issue. I believe actually in God's economy, the more separate you are, the more you can do mission work. The more missional you are, the more separate you are. It's in our minds and our in our experiences that we that we really wrestle and struggle with some of these things, and and we will. The church has always done that. If the early church struggled with this issue, I think we will too. But they're not opposed. I'm just saying that they are not opposed to one another. Sometimes fellowship, maybe maybe we feel like that's opposed to authority. Like if we really want to have a if we want to really have fellowship with people, we can't make them feel bad about anything. So we're not going to talk to them about anything that they might be doing. Let's say they're watching movies. Let's say they're going to events that we don't believe are good. Well, if we exercise the authority of Christ and say, brothers and sisters, let's get together and think about this activity. Is Can, can we do this and remain followers of Christ? To even say that we need to have this discussion can actually be a threat to the fellowship that we feel we need to have. Am am I alone in this? Do you feel these things sometimes? Do you? Okay. You don't want to make enemies, but but you feel like you need to speak some truth. Um, I'm just saying, if they're separated from one another, they cannot continue to exist in any meaningful way, actually. Um, And so, you find people whose gifts or or perspectives, since we're limited people, we tend to see one of these issues. Someone will say, maybe mine is one that I care a lot about is discipleship, okay? And I'd like to be part of relationships where people can actually really step on each other's toes and be okay with that, all right? I'm going to speak the truth to you, and you speak it to me, and let's, let's be men about this. Let's do this. Well, if that's the only thing I stress, and I lose the others, I don't think I'll be doing discipleship very long. Also, these things require the resources of the Spirit, which flow through various members. Paul says here, there is one body and one Spirit. And in other passages, uh, he calls these the gifts of the Spirit. And so these things can't be done just by human human uh, uh, power or wisdom. We can't get together and, um, and, and write a constitution that's going to take care of these things. Yes, it's good to write things down. It's good to have some agreement. But it takes the Spirit. It takes the continuing presence of God's Spirit in His people. Those who do these things are given spiritual authority from Christ to accomplish them. So God gives us, He gives us gifts. It says when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives. He was triumphant. So Christ, rising from the dead, ascending to the Father, was Lord of heaven and earth, sitting at the Father's right hand, and it was then that He sent the Spirit to His church. It was then that He gave the gift to the church to be able to do these things. 
These come from the authority of Christ. And these things, finally, must be worked out anew in every generation. I don't know how many times I've seen a church that really functions well, really is doing well, but they fail to pass on to the next generation the vision. And when it comes time to give it, actually to hand the baton to the next generation, they're saying, no, we need to do it like we did it back in, I don't know, 1988, 1954. I'm not sure. I'm just talking here. There's a time to hand the, gen- the baton over to the new generation, the next generation. And the reason I say that, the reason I get that from this passage is that it says that we all may attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's speaking of every believer. It's an ongoing process that continues to go, continues to grow. It's a vision here for discipleship, for working these things out. And he says the purpose here in verse 10 he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Christ, when he was with his apostles, said, It's better that I go to the Father so I can send the Spirit. And so when Christ ascended and sent the Spirit to his followers, now Jesus has a presence everywhere on earth. He's not just in Galilee doing miracles, he is everywhere through his people, through his believers. Um, you can also look at the last verse of chapter 1 in Ephesians, which says, um, God made Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is Christ's body. It is Christ's fullness. It is Christ's way of filling the earth. Incidentally, when God uh, commissioned Adam and Eve, to uh, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and Adam failed, now the earth is being replenished with the presence of Christ in his people. Problem we face. I told you last night I was going to get here. So, Maybe before I tell you what the problems are, maybe I should open it for your questions. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I probably won't answer your questions, but did you have some? If you don't, that's okay, but I'll open it here a little bit. What are the implications of Matthew's vision of church? And what are some of the questions that we might have? If you're like I am, you're thinking, well, if I had a couple hours, I think I could, I could come up with some. So, um, yeah, you're thoughtful here. So the problems we face, I'm just going to list some, relating to those who do church differently from us, whether it's another denomination, or whether it's actually our own denomination, but they do them differently. I could give a lot of examples here of different, different 
ways that people define things. And it's a problem for us. We take a stand on an issue, and there's, then there's another group, and they, they don't take the same stand. Well, how is this supposed to work? If we meet together under the authority of Christ and decide that this is how Christ wants us to do it, how can another group meet under the authority of Christ and decide something different than we do? Am I the only one that has this question? Okay. Now, some of you have the same question, okay? People leaving our churches. And, and here, I actually feel a fair amount of pain right now putting this on an overhead. I, I wish I wouldn't have this on my overhead. But I think I need to put this here. It's a reality. How do we relate to people that have left us and who decide that the things we emphasize are no longer important. These people usually would like to maintain relationships with us. Sometimes they come to the same family reunions that we come to. And um, yet they don't want to keep the same biblical practices that we believe are important. Another problem we face is in translating church life into cultural sea leather. And by this, I simply mean that we begin to be seen as a people who has a nice way of life, but people around us couldn't, couldn't imagine being like we are, couldn't imagine following Christ in this way. We encourage and serve people. People are grateful for us. I'm going to say, you can depend on those people. They, they show up when there's a work day. They take care of, my, of their parents. They... They pay their taxes. They do honest work. They do all of these good things. They serve and they love their community. But, wow, to, to, be, to belong to them, I, I couldn't quite imagine. So we have, we have a problem here. We face a challenge. And the challenge is simply this. Instead of blaming our people group, I want to just make this broad and say this is a problem the church faces. When we set about to follow Christ, and we say, this is how we believe Christ wants us to be, because he has a different kingdom. How do we make this kingdom something that people in the world can say, you know what, that is what I would really like to do. I actually think that that's God's problem. Because it was God who came up with the kingdom. But we have to wrestle with how we do some of the applications. So, we have to think about this a little. Another problem that we have is drifting away from biblical practices. We might just call this drift. As we try to become more relevant, so let's say, you know what? Some of these things we're doing are just barriers. Let's start. I don't want to suggest anything here. Okay. I should make something so off the wall. Let's start. Let's have rock concerts in here. You know, from 8 to 10. And then from 10 to 12, we'll have a traditional service for the rest of us. Um, we'll see if we can have Menno Rock. That would be a good... We'll come up with that, okay? We'll put parts of the Schleitheim Confession in there, and we'll get some Michael Jackson mixed in, and we'll, we'll roll. We'll have a good time here. Wait a minute. Um, I think we're having some drift, Okay. Now, I made a funny scenario, but honestly, this is happening. We're experiencing some drift. We're losing 
some of our commitments to, to biblical practices. And I'm not just talking about tradition. I'm here. So if you want me to, I'll take this off. It's a plain coat, okay? I don't wear it because I believe the Bible teaches that this is the only thing that you can wear, okay? I wear it because I, I think it's a good thing. But I honestly believe it's a tradition. It's a good tradition. And I don't have time to get into this, to traditions. Actually, nobody can live without traditions. But I'm just making the point here, would I be willing to, to just dress like this? If that's how you wanted me to dress, the answer is yes. Um, and so, I think we want to be able to be flexible. If there's something that is in the way, if there's something that's a barrier, and yet I'm saying so quickly, so quickly, right away, we begin to drift away from the teachings of Christ. Where Christ himself has said um, that if a woman is married to another man, it's adultery. That if you um, kill your enemy, if you resist evil, that's killing. And we begin to, to make compromises and so on. We cannot just focus on one of these problems. Um, there are probably others that I'm not referring to or not aware of here. How do we face these problems? And I just want to say here, I cannot tell you how to meet these challenges here in Gladys, Virginia. Um, part of it, the reason is I'm not part of your assembly here. Because I, and so I don't have the authority to come here and tell you how to do it. Another reason is that I don't have the answer. I have some perspective. So I'm going to offer you some of my personal vision and some of my perspective to maybe give you a toolbox that you can use to do the work. And here I don't have references. I'm just speaking from my time, excuse me, I need to back up here. I don't, I don't, I'm off the slides now, I'm just talking, so I'm going to address, first of all, the question of denominationalism or differences from other churches. Just a perspective here, the basic line of division, I believe, in the kingdom of God is between churches who do discipleship and churches who do not do discipleship. Jesus says that many will come and say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, sorry, I never knew you. Um, it's those who will do the will of his Father, which is in heaven. And so there are groups of people who do not do the will of God. Who have made a different gospel out of the gospel that has been proclaimed by Christ and the apostles, who have made the gospel into something different. And I'm going to refrain from trying to say whose disciple-making churches are and who they aren't. Because oftentimes, sprinkled through these various churches are true disciples of Christ, Sprinkled through two churches are some people who aren't disciples. And 
comes down to individual loyalty and commitment to Christ. And yet, there is also a sense in which a church, in Revelation, we read the church has its lampstand removed as a church body. So there, churches, as, as an entity, can be a true church or a non-disciple-making church. Second perspective here on denominationalism, I believe that we have more in common with people who care enough about biblical doctrine not to allow us to come to their communion table than we do with people who care so little about biblical doctrine that they would allow us to come regardless of what we believe. Did I say that right? Okay, so there are a few groups in America. There's a few... There's, there's a number of denominations. There's some Baptists, there's some Wesleyans, there's some holiness people. I don't know who all these people are. Actually, the, uh, the Missouri, I was reading someone who was from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's, it's not the big Lutheran Church, it's another Lutheran Church. And their, their policy is that if you go to another church that believes the way they do, and you're committed to that church, and you have the same confession, they will allow you at their, at their communion table. And if, they, if you don't, they won't allow you. If I went to one of those churches, and they were serving communion, I would not be allowed to partake. Now, on one level, this is painful for me, because these people have, these people have taken Christ seriously, they actually left the big Lutheran church over some, some issues of biblical doctrine years ago. These people believe in the inerrancy of the Word and want to follow Christ. And so it, it's a bit painful for me that this is what I want to do, but I can't commune with them. However, I feel much closer to them than I do to the group that they left, which would accept me at their table because they don't care enough about commitment to Christ to make a separation. Does that make sense? Okay, so we wrestle with these things. But the fact that we, that we both care about them sort of makes us brothers. We can say, yes, we're brothers. Okay? This is kind of a stiff group. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. A third observation I want to make about denomination, denominationalism we did not create the situation that we were born into. No one here can remember the days of the one Holy Roman Catholic Apostolic whatever church when there was one Roman Catholic church. And the splits and splinters are things that we're born into. I don't know that we can necessarily solve them. We need to work with what we have. But I don't think we can throw a lot of blame around, and I don't think we can blame ourselves. We need to trust Jesus, that he is leading his church to a glorious end, that he has a purpose for his church. I'm going to talk about the next issue, but about people leaving us, just a few perspectives here. The fact that we require of our members literal biblical obedience or literal applications that are observed by only a minority of Christians will make us a minority. 
so if we practice, for instance, non-resistance, we believe that Christ taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. It was important enough that it matters to the church. This means that churches that do not practice this, which are in the majority, since we are a mi- minority, there will be a pathway for people to go to those churches with a, let's say, a lesser, um, I'm not wanting to say a lesser commitment. They may be committed to Christ. But there are many, many Christians, and we would, we would call them Christians, I believe, at least a number of them, who don't observe the same thing that we believe are important. And this, this automatically, it creates a pathway for people who want to take a route that's easier. That's, just, that's, that's a reality. But then I also want to say we need to humbly acknowledge when we have failed and hurt people who left us. Um, maybe not behind everyone, but behind many of these, there are stories of pain. Um, there are stories of people having honest questions, but we made it a spiritual problem. We made it their problem. And some of them, it was their problem. And I have met for hours with people over a span of years and work closely, just hoping that God would keep this family together and keep this family from flying apart, keep this father from committing immorality, or keep this mother from leaving her children. Walked with these people and walked and walked and walked. And at the end of these years, had them tell me, the way you handled us was completely inappropriate, it was heavy-handed, you didn't care any, anything about us. And we had to go to this other church to really find healing. That has happened to me as a leader. I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, I want to say, well, if I, was, if I was that way, do you think I would have done this for 15 years? Would I, would I really have been willing to do that if I was heavy-handed? I want to ask that question, but, but on the other hand, there are areas where I need to grow. There are areas I need to learn and areas I may have been insensitive. And so I think I'm saying here, sometimes people do give us um, accusations that are not fair. But then also sometimes we, we do hurt them. We need to be open to that. Um, a third thing I want to say about people leaving we need to be aware of the array of cultural forces at work to dissolve bonds of faithfulness and commitment to the local assembly. And interestingly, within the last number of years, sociologists have noticed that membership in local bodies, let's say the Elf Club, uh, volunteer fire department, ladies on stories, has dropped. It has declined immensely. Especially among the, the current generation is dropping off. Cultural forces at work are extremely corrosive. The types of bonds that people used to share in the community. And that's no different for the church. 
corrosive effects are at work. Um, they're all around us. Um, I want to sound the alarm in the right way. I don't want to be alarmist in the wrong way, but I want to sound an alarm. And I want, I want to just say that the, the types of activities, the types of involvement that people have are giving themselves to cannot um, or excuse me, I'll say it this way. Those types of activities will dissolve bonds of loyalty, bonds of fellowship and faithfulness. People begin to live under the illusion that they can create their own communities electronically. And that this might be my hobby horse. Um, and that they don't actually have to be involved with flesh and blood relationships anymore. The next issue, difficulty in translating um, the kingdom of God into cultural shoe leather. One observation I have here is that biblical principles require application. Especially in a world where sensuality and individualism, materialism, and rebellion are the norms in the clothing industry, the music industry, the entertainment industry, all around the PC. Um, all of these things being expressed that are against the kingdom of God. If we are going to teach biblical principles, we can't just teach principles. We actually have to teach applications in order to be able to resist the strength of those corrosive forces. So, for instance, um, we're going to have to say something about the kinds of movies that people watch. Or whether they watch it, watch them. We can't just simply be silent. We can't come to church and say, you know, here are the principles. So we're going to let you apply them however you want to apply them. And the reason I say this is because I believe I have precedent, biblical precedent, in what the apostles wrote, and also in the writings of the early church following the days of the apostles, um, the early church fathers wrote about specific issues such as this. Um, Roman society was actually quite decadent, and they actually had the theater, they had a lot of the different issues that we struggle with today. Um, they didn't have smartphones, but they had a lot of the other things. Second thing I want to say here under um, the difficulty in translation, applications are a means to an end. When we make applications, the application itself is a way of, of arriving at another goal. And it's not a means in itself. It's not an end in itself, I mean. So if we care more about correctly observing the application than we care about the substance, then we're going to run off the rails. And, you know, I've done this. That might have been where, where I've offended people that I've been trying to help. Um, like I said, did you, did you um, check in with so-and-so this week? Well, no, I didn't. Why not? Okay, so if, if, if the person didn't check in with, with who they were supposed to be accountable to, does that matter? 
ultimate application is the way that we tried to agree upon. But if, the, if, the, if he was busy and he forgot, and he still, he still is maintaining and he's desiring to walk with Christ, the reality is still there. Paul here is not to lose sight of the weightier matters of the law and place our faith in technicalities like the, the Pharisees had, had done. Also, we need to develop the imagination to see people adopt biblical practices. Maybe part of the reason people can't imagine being like us is that we can't imagine it either. Would you be surprised if your neighbor would say, hey, I want to be like you. I want to come to your church and I want to I dress like you, and I want to follow Christ like you. Or are you expecting him to do that? I think if, if we're followers of Christ, we should expect that. Maybe not everything. But we need to develop at least the capacity to think, you know what? There's power here. There's power in the gospel. And people can follow this. It's, it's a way that people can follow it. It's going to work. It works. This kingdom works. It's not something that we have to put on life support to keep it alive. Then the question of drift, losing our practices. First thing I want to say is that when we try to flatten our, our visible differences with the world, or try to get rid of all the ways that we might look different from the world, we have forgotten that the unseen components of our faith are more radical than the ones we can see. So we dress differently. But did you know the things we believe in are actually more different than the things, than some of the things that we look different in? The resurrection, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, believing that nations could actually resolve differences without warfare, or at least that God's people could work in such a way as to, even if the nations are always going to be at war, that God's people could work in such a way that God's kingdom would come and His will would be done um, and bring healing to the nations. That's a radical belief. Another observation, I believe every congregation will develop a specific life in relation to biblical practices. And, and we'll be a little bit different from one another. But as its members live and work together over time, I believe you'll develop a life, kind of your own life, your own application. And these can change over time. Patterns can emerge. Decisions will be made that give a particular shape to a congregation. It's a process that requires time and commitment and guidance from God, from His Spirit, and from the Word. In order for this to last and not just rip, from one generation to the next. It needs to be anchored in specific doctrines and, char- and practices that have characterized the church since the days of the apostles. And, and this, is the great, this is the great project of Christian leadership, is to, to give yourself to discernment in these things. We can't know all the answers to these things, but the the uh, teachings of the Word from Christ and in the epistles 
of the New Testament. Are they, they are the foundation, they are the grounding point for us not to just drift. And then every generation will strive to make this life its own in new ways. We need to pass the baton and say, you know what, this is your responsibility. You take it from Christ. You go with Christ. We're giving it to you. We trust you. It cannot always be changing, and yet it must always be changing. It cannot always be unmovable, but it has to be unmovable. There has to be substance there that keeps it anchored, and yet it has to be able to change. How is this done? I don't know. I think of what a, a Russian church leader told me years ago, a man who had spent 14 years in prison for his faith. And I met this man, and we prayed together, and he said, he made this comment. He said, our people are the most progressive Christians. I was taken aback, because I thought, well, I didn't think you seemed really progressive when I met you. But he said, we're also the most conservative Christians. And so he was making this point that on this progressive or conservative, whatever this scale is that you might measure people with, there's actually a sense in which they're the cutting edge to Christ and the Spirit and striving and doing spiritual warfare there's also a sense in which they're never changing. So this is quite a paradox. It's a difficult paradox. And I'm just going to say, here's where elders or pastors sometimes want to wring their hands. We feel pressure to figure this out as pastors. We feel people depending on us to get it right. And somehow stuck in the back of our mind is we thought, we're going to fail, at least in one aspect. So it's just a call here um, to think about these things. I just want to conclude here with two comments. Christ's goal for his church is for us to face these issues and resolve them in a way that no other institution on earth has the power to do. The church has been given what it needs in order to function. We are not at a loss for facing these things. Christ has given us what we need. The second thing I want to say is that Christ's will for His church is not that we would find answers to all these questions, but that we would take seriously His teachings and commit ourselves to following them with our brothers and sisters. So, we're not actually going to find perfect answers here. But what we can find is fellowship, discipleship, repentance, faith, obedience, trust with our brothers and sisters. We can work for these things. We can strive for these things. The way is narrow, brothers and sisters. It's a good way. It's a good way. And Christ is going to be with us. I'm going to close here by having us stand together and recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.